0: Welcome back everyone and I am delighted to be uh, introducing a, a whole new continent to the stage in a moment. Um, we're going to be talking about, well th- there's a wonderful panel discussion format that we've got here um, called What's Wrong With, and we're talking about supply chains. Uh, and I'm going to hand over now to Pinar Govenk from the uh, New York and Istanbul based uh, architecture practice, Sauer, which she's in New York. So Pinar, over to you and welcome to the virtual stage.
1: Hi, Fraser, and thank you so much for having us. I uh, really apologize for my voice today. I did my best to make sounds today, and this is the extent that I can do it. But thankfully, I'm going to be moderating and we'll be doing the minimal talking. So we're very happy to be here today. We're huge fans of Waste Build, And to quickly introduce myself, I'm Pinar, partner of Sauer. um, And as Fraser mentioned, we are an architecture and design studio with the mission of addressing social and urban problems. And um, we do realize, uh, in order for able to really come up with solutions for the problems we're seeing in the world, we do need to have a collective uh, education and understanding and awareness in various issues that we face in the world. Hence, we started the What's Wrong with series um, back in 2017, um, where we have a diagnostic panel discussions about different topics, and we ideate solutions with experts and progress makers in the field. So today uh, we'll be talking about supply chains and we have a fantastic panel here um, that represent really diverse industries and perspectives on supply chain itself. So I will um, pass it to everyone to introduce themselves and their backgrounds, and we'll take the conversation from there. And I'll start with passing to Lisa.
2: Hi, my name is Lisa Morales Hellebo, and I am, uh, let's see, a GP in ReFashion Ventures. We invest in all things supply chain innovation across data, AI, advanced materials, advanced manufacturing and advanced logistics. Um, I'm also CEO and co-founder of a company called Refashioned OS. We are refashioning the apparel supply chain as a distributed collaborative network of micro factories connected via shared data layer with real time throughput capacity load bearing and then our volume shifts from your finished goods, which are now one offs on demand to your raw materials, which we're looking to partner with circular regenerative textiles. So everything we produce can be consumed and regenerated within about a 700 mile radius. Um, I'm also co-founder of the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation. It is uh, one of the largest organizations of supply chain enthusiasts and nerds like ourselves. (laughs) Uh, We have 4,000 members on every continent except for Antarctica and about 40,000 in our global network. We're extremely inclusive our passion is to connect builders and buyers to have real conversations about innovations in supply chains so that they can gain traction and scale
3: quicker.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And I'll continue with Kai.
3: Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Kai. I'm uh, the founder of Clean Bodia. Um, thank you again to Waste Build and Sour for having me uh, here today with these. Uh, inspiring panelists. I'm super excited to hear all everybody else's uh, views of what they're doing and uh, how the solutions they're uh, addressing today's and tomorrow's problems. Um, uh, like I said, I'm the founder of clean CleanBodia clean is, uh, uh, I, I developed it in 2015 when I moved to Cambodia in 2014 uh, to address the plastic pollution problem there. If uh, anyone's ever been to any developing countries, we know there's uh, huge infrastructure problems and uh, a lot of that Deals with uh, the cheapness and the usability of plastic. And um, when I was there in two thousand and fifteen, I decided to decided that there was so much uh, plastic pollution, and so much um, it was upsetting me so much that I needed to be a part of the solution. So, uh, unlike some of my uh, colleagues on the panel, I don't have a chemical engineering degree that or a long history in what I'm doing. This is something that uh, I was inspired to do and learning as I go. But in Cambodia, we do. Um, create uh or excuse me introduce a a biodegradable bag made of cassava uh some people know it as yuca or tapioca um and our biodegradable bags uh degrade within six years and help uh address the plastic pollution problem uh in southeast asia as well as uh, continents across the country
1: i love it thank you oljay
3: Hello, this is
4: Oljay. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Fazla Gıda. Uh, in direct translation, it means surplus food. Uh, we, the global brand is whole, uh, whole surplus. Um, also, I'm the co-founder uh, of Food Rescue Association in Turkey. Uh, food Rescue Association is the biggest food banking network currently. Um, at Fazla Gıda site, uh, we are a technology-based uh, platform uh, that is connecting all the surplus owners uh, and the ones who can uh, use it for better uh, purposes. And so far, we have managed more than uh, 20,000 tons of uh, food um, and delivered uh, more than one million people uh, the surplus food monthly basis. So this is the summary. Uh, thank you.
1: Thank you. And last but not least, Thomas.
5: Hi, everybody. I'm Thomas Marinelli. And first of all, I would also like to thank Sauer to invite us. And uh, it's great to have these uh, members in the panel. Uh, I think they're all very important uh, global challenges. So each of you are tackling uh, great sustainability topics. I'm working for the last 18 years for Signify, probably more known by most of you uh, for Philips Lighting. So I'm in the lighting industry, so uh, electronic products. I've been working the last 80 years in all kinds of sustainability topics and uh, I'm really happy that I had have it uh, was given me the chance to work on those just to name you a few is uh, circular economy is uh, really lately a hot topic circular lighting is a business model we have developed supported by the circular design before I worked for packaging uh, I'm very uh, proud of the project we did to helping little bit kai by stopping using plastic in packaging material in consumer products. Um, We are also working hard to uh, phase out as much as the harmful uh, chemicals. But that's a challenge in such a thing like electronics. But still, you can work on more on renewable uh, materials. And um, what I'm also very enthusiastic about is that, for me, sustainability is, of course, environmental topics, but certainly also how can we Help people social aspects of uh, of lighting and uh, just to name here. The last ones is um, food availability. How can we help there? So I have a link with all uh, safety security. Also in, in getting more and more important is a very important sustainability topic and health and well-being and last but not least energy efficiency. Helping us to uh, fight climate change is definitely on our agenda. Thanks.
1: Amazing. Thank you. And there's definitely no conversation of sustainability without the human factor. So thanks for the 360 coverage. Um, So I guess when we talk about supply chain, there are systems that exist in any industry, right? And they touch upon from like materiality to production, to inventory management, logistics, communication, information, all of that and so many decisions also made outside of supply chain do impact supply chain like design um, and i guess like policy too so when we're talking about such a mega system that involves so many different not only you know like disciplines but also demographics and geography obviously we see a range of problems but also that is the opportunity for a range of solutions as well. So to kick off the conversation, I guess, um, either like within your industry or in your experience, what are some very, um, no one say problems, but really the underlying reasons of some of the problems we see today in the supply chain, um, and whoever wants to go first can go first.
2: I'll, I'll go with underlying reasons in the supply chain. <laughs> Where do we get started? Um, so I, I think a lot of the underlying uh, issues with our current supply chain has been uh, seeking the cheapest possible labor and materials, focusing on landed cost of goods sold rather than really looking at your total cost of your end to end supply chain as a global infrastructure set. Um, you know, people have, become so in love with the uh you know two dollar t-shirt that we got landed well what was the cost of your supply chain to source the the cotton that got shipped from one country to another to be milled uh spun into fibers and then shipped to another location to be lab dyed um you know you have your uh manufacturing in another country and region where they have cheaper labor or better innovation with cheaper labor and then of course your distribution our global distribution of everyone needing every option of everything is literally insanity (laughs) so i think we we're reaching that tipping point where we're realizing that um our consumption has led to our own destruction and we need to start making better systemic choices about what we truly need versus what we want and how you start with the most basic needs and making them sustainable, circular, and local. There's no reason that we should have produce, shipping from around the world and getting it just in time to have it sit in your fridge for a day before it goes bad. <laughs> um, so I think it's it really requires systems thinkers to not just try to tackle one little component of the supply chain. A supply chain cannot exist in a vacuum. It needs to be end-to-end solutions.
1: I love that we already touched upon the human factor, right? Like so much of this is our own behavior and patterns and really biases and perceptions too, right? We once did a conversation and again, in what's wrong we were talking about how media is the biggest culprit in uh, climate change. And uh, it is true. I mean, why do we feel like we need to consume so much? Or Oljay would know this. Like, there's a. I don't. I, maybe it's still the case, but in Turkey, like imports would be considered luxury, and it's a uh, better to have. Which, like, how did that happen? Right. Like, how did we move out of local? Um, so, any other like uh, anyone wants to add anything like maybe industry specific too that you see that can- happens in addition to consumer behavior.
4: I can. Um, getting with the food side, um, you know, when we look at every single company, uh, they, they use ERP systems, right, to be more efficient. You know, what is the input, where you store it, where are you going to use it, when, etc. And um, these all the data and the systematic approaches, they need to be able to function very well at one single company level. But when we look at all the ecosystem and sector um, and the supply chain is in the middle of this process and we see that uh, the connection point is that there are a lot of vacancies, let's say, in the connection point. So there is no like a sector-wise, ecosystem-wise, ERP kind of approach. So in these vacancy points, uh, what happens as an inefficiency happens there, actually. Uh, this is one of the main uh, problems, uh, as I see in the food industries and inefficiency part. I just want to um, tap into that uh, part uh, for now, uh, leaving it to the others. Uh, we we may yeah. go back in detail.
1: Yeah, um, but it touches upon like I guess it feels for both Kai and Thomas too because it's basically lack of infrastructure, whether that's digital or physical, right? I mean, Kai, you talked about like in Cambodia the lack of it.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, and I was going to touch with uh, you know what Lisa said about the cheapness of products and such, and you know that's a big challenge that we have in Cambodia because plastic is so cheap and as well as it's considered a luxury item, often plastic bags. Uh, are considered Western or uh, clean, um, preferred to you know places like India that sometimes use bowls that are made out of leaves that uh, for curries and such like that, um, where that's considered maybe dirty, and not, not hygienic. Um, so one of our challenges is definitely telling you know selling a product that you know most uh, environmental products, uh, green products are more expensive, um, and and getting the message to our customers that. You know, even though it's more expensive today, the cost uh, is going to be way more expensive in the future, Uh, and that can be a big challenge to let people know that, you know, you might be saving some money today, but in future generations or in the next decade, these effects are going to come down the line, and we're going to have to pay, pay for those at some point or other.
1: Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, even maybe more prominent in developing countries where decisions are made for very much short term, there is not much long term planning. So for, you know, executives and leaders and companies that are also sourcing, and when the stakeholder like profits are more important, maybe you just like, how do I bring down costs today? And I don't worry about 10 years from now. Sure. But when you move on, to I was like, like more. Yeah, go ahead.
3: I was going to say, and, you know, in and the end users, you know, in these developing countries too, um, one thing I also always have to remind myself is that the environment is not the most important factor for many people of our end users. Sometimes it's where they're going to get food the next day. What about the health? There might be multi-generations living in the household and take, caring for, for grandparents and parents and such like that. So have to be mindful in, in certain situations of how aggressive or how, uh, how we approach these these kind of issues with, uh, with the environment.
1: Exactly, like survival more than like planning for futures when that's priority, mm-hmm. it's, it's a problem. And yeah. Thomas, you kind of see this in sort of like a global and almost like multi-industry as lighting goes into like many different places and, um, you know, spaces too. So, um, and also I guess like you have this like more you know corporate background that could allow the infrastructure and the resources that you need to be able to make these shifts. But what are the challenges you see in there when you're work, trying to work at such scale and size too?
5: Well, thanks for the question. I I think uh, do one step back because it is linking many of the topics already mentioned and just lately I re- read an article where somebody said I like the word. He said the circle economy could be a bridge between many of these challenges because uh, ma- the plastic was mentioned uh, we are really struggling because we have so much single-used plastic which is feeding this huge mountain of, of uh, waste it's the same in cloth, what uh, Lisa was uh, bringing forward so that's again and that's not only in those areas and food uh, we, we had already a little bit of a side discussion where we said the, the food is created in such a way that most of it is already waste before it reaches our fork um, and I think we, in also the electronics industry, which is uh, very global, also the lighting, we sell in more than 70 countries, uh, as far as I know, um, we are really thinking about how can we make the circular happen. And it's interesting, also from a supply chain perspective, it's really challenging in many ways. It is the digitalization we already mentioned, because you need the information. In a, in a previous job, I worked on conflict minerals, for example, we were really challenged. Can we really go back and know where this uh, or this material is coming from That has all to do with more clarity more more transparency better data uh, integration and data uh, the sharing very important I think plus it you also need both sides in the s- supply chain. So in the value chain you say you need on the one side supplies which can think with you not to go for the cheapest but for something you can reuse recycle uh, uh, extend the lifetime as much as possible and on the other side you need a customer who also ac- uh, accepts it and is also ready maybe not to have a, a huge m- amount of money so I have a an a, a capex but thinks more in OPEX so seeing on the supply chain you will have to work with your supplies much more closely I would also hope more locally Right? so we don't have mm-hmm. to transport it all over the whole of the world but that are decisions I cannot make but at least your supply chain the mindset has to change and immediately that's why it's a bridge all this will avoid a lot of waste and it will help also save a lot of energy Could't
1: agree more and I, think, I know Lisa you're gonna add something <laughs> yeah and your wealth of knowledge I, so please
2: do. I think demand chains are the bridge between supply chains and circular infrastructure. So a supply chain is you are trying to predict the future. Um, you know, to to produce enough supply to meet the projected future demand. But a demand chain, you are starting with an entirely different paradigm of of constraints. What are the things that your consumers need? What are the most ubiquitous materials that go into the things that those consumers need? Um, how can you source? What are the options to source those materials locally? And then you start to build and define your products. So it is a, a totally uh, flipped supply chain where you can design and have a digital 3D option of your design. Um, We've seen an explosion of NFTs and virtual fashion, and that is fabulous. And it's been a little bit of a hype cycle, but we believe it's merchandising. It's merchandising without the waste and without having to produce physical samples. You can get ahead of what, what your consumer wants if you can produce something in real time push it out to the market when the trend is just starting to emerge get pre-orders and have everything produced on demand post-purchase so we're not shipping anything and uh you know re pulling everything from the corners of the planet for whatever comes into a creative's head we have to start with what your materials are locally and then design really for that uh, constraints and for optimizing the consumer demand beforehand. Um, It really is the only way that we can bring down costs and really teach the world that sustainable does not mean more cost. Let me repeat that. (laughs) Most people believe that sustainable inherently means more expensive. Oh, well, is the consumer gonna wanna spend more? Guess what? It doesn't have to cost more. You actually, as a brand specifically with fashion, if you're selling a hundred-dollar land, uh, a retail price product that you're purchasing in volume overseas, that has to be shipped around the world, and all the expense of your global staff and logistics and customs and tariffs, that product is still a hundred dollars retail, and the consumer is not going to see the fact that it cost you as a brand an additional 30 to 40 percent in margin erosion to get that landed cost to get to your hundred dollar retail price. If you flip to a demand chain, we are literally taking out all that cost and reclaiming the 30 to 40 percent margin erosion. So the price to the consumer is still a hundred dollars, but the brand gets a much healthier size of margin. So it ultimately is, do you want to be more profitable or do you want to stick with your landed cost of goods sold?
1: I love that so much also because, you know, we we often think practices, like new practices or common practices in other industries, maybe innovation in another one, right? And you know, the context of waste build is generally around construction industry, but so much of what you're saying, Lisa, also applies within the construction industry as well. And this is just, you know, um, as you said, like, first of all, starts with the mindset, right? The assumption that something more sustainable will be more costly and maybe there were you know products or you know systems in the past that were but guess what you know that's prototyping right like in in tech industry nobody says like oh my god the first prototype is so expensive we can't go to market there's an understanding that it's prototype and there will be iteration and there will be work to get it more cost effective and that mindset really needs to be adopted by all the other industries so that we could make everything more cost efficient if the system really adopts that behavior first of all so but to your point already like there are things that are reducing the cost by making circular sustainable decisions already and we just need to you know move on to that and i guess um you know there is definitely and uh for all its vices, I guess one uh benefit of social media and this the common platform of digitalization really enabled more awareness around a subject, at least, right? I, I don't think and I often like bring this up, you know, we saw a climate strike that did not happen in past generations before. And um, you know, and I do see there's much more um uh awareness and emphasis to this in younger generations than prior so this could be where the demand side changes things and as long as there is a demand brands companies um firms are gonna have to start to change in order to be a relevant business you know 10 20 years from now the problem is we can't start late we're already like like we need to learn today
2: i think part of the shift is that brands are assuming oh well when my consumers demand it then we'll make the change but what they are not accounting for is that with innovation you can change what your offering is entirely you can give them things that are not possible within globalized supply chains customization personalization super hyper localized uh graphics tied to whatever the local demographic is on-demand sizing and fit, you know, these are things that consumers have proven over time to, to pay up to 30% more than full retail price for. So if you're trying to just replicate your globalized supply chain and, and offer that to your consumer, you're missing the point.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think what you're also touching upon is really getting to know your user better and i do see like there's more even like um positions now in like globally we see more like design researchers and strategists which is so important because we really need to not only have a better understanding of what we're producing and for who but also potentially co-creating with them right like engaging the end user early on and even ideation and innovation stage to really create outcomes that we know will appeal to the consumer so that is like something I, at least on the design side, um, we see that could be you know a way to like address issues, but I would love to hear everyone's thoughts on like, yes, we need to start like yesterday, <laughs> and how do we uh, at least start today and you know also, I would be very interested to hear in different scales, right like we have here from like startups to global companies, um how do we start today to push? and then how can this be more, how can these changes sustain um, and what what is required to do so?
4: So maybe I can say something about this uh, because specifically what we are uh, doing is changing the supply chain of uh, food surplus management. Uh, And actually I agree with Lisa and your comments. Um, the, The one thing we were always saying to the potential clients was that you need to start changing the supply chain and the processes right now, because when you will need it, uh, when you want to do it, uh, you are not going to be able to do it. So this is not a one day change. So you need to get ready. Uh, And actually we saw this in in COVID time. So when COVID came in place, uh, as you all know, huge uh, food surplus happened everywhere. And all the companies we were talking for a while just came in. Uh, and we we reminded, we, we told you that you should have been ready uh, beforehand. So I, I think COVID sh- showed this to everyone globally, uh, in every sector. And um, so that will change something for future. And when, when we come to the point that what shall be done here, um, what I see as a good practice, uh, as a start point, Uh, Maybe, you know, a Consumer Goods Forum uh, started a campaign of uh, uh, 2025-10-2030 projects for reducing food waste 50% in the supply chains. And the approach is very similar to the uh, UN SDG targets of 2030. As a campaign, it started at at a very macro level. And they, I guess, spent a lot of time uh, defining the problem, uh, but not the solution. And defining the the pains uh, but um giving this problem and prioritizing this problem at CEO and board levels of huge uh, companies and uh, creating some funding or at least uh, making an agenda uh, it works well uh, it will work well I guess that I believe um so mm-hmm. if you want to change it we need to make it at the top level priority because otherwise mm-hmm. as Lisa mentioned yes a lot of um fundings needed uh, for prototyping, developing the innovation and the time, etc. Uh, but when, if there is no macro level agenda, when you just work with the direct, the, uh, the task owners, job owners, the like director level, manager level, whoever uh, in the client companies um, in supply chain, they just want saving in day zero, day one. So, OK, um, if you are going to make money right now let's do it if we are gonna make money two years ahead let's not do it so that's the approach <laughs> and first first of all we need to change this mindset i mean uh, when when we th- think about innovation and R and D, usually it's for like space electricity cars they understand this part usually but i change it in itself has a lot of uh, innovation parts and um, so everyone needs to change the mindset and i i really believe this should come from the uh, board level ceo level to the bottom line and uh, not uh, expecting this uh, mindset shift to happen by itself uh, is a very wishful thinking um so <laughs> this is why i really yeah. uh, like stg campaign and uh, 2025 campaign of consumer goods Forum.
5: yeah maybe maybe i can add because i like exactly you your what you are putting on the table here okay um, because maybe I can give an example from uh, companies like, we are, there are more companies, eh? but Philips started already in the mid-90s on what they called uh, sustainability programs, environmental programs in the beginning, and they embraced more and more topics. And what I like very much is that in, in our companies, we, we, every time we made four or five-year programs, like you said, don't start tomorrow, start today, or you should have started yesterday. And you also know, and that's the beauty when you can uh, have the opportunity to integrate sustainability in your overall strategy that you say, and now dear C-suite we come with a proposal for the next five years. And and, well, you can have certain successes. And again, also for the supply chain, because we are talking about supply chain here and the challenges we have. Uh, One of the things we said was we want to become a carbon neutral company. How do you do that? Well, you, you need partners for that. You need absolutely partners. You have to partner not only with suppliers who give you the materials, but you need to partner definitely also with the logistics. People who bring the goods to you can be via water or air. Well, air is always difficult, but at least water and and on the road, train or truck. We're really looking for partners who work on uh, not using fossil-based uh, 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 how do you say it, uh, energy uh, for, for the ships. I know that there are certain logistics shipping companies who really turned away from fossil fuel and, and try to let their ships go on on uh, on, on another an alternative energy source. Um, that's a very good way to reduce your CO2 uh, footprint. Um, you can work with, uh, 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 well, we have a partner in energy that you look for, where is renewable energy? There's a there are wind parks there are uh, uh, solar parks where you can get it so it, you get the chance when you have a program for the four or five years the good thing is corporates are more and more going to publish the the status the progress but also the hurdles and the failures we, you have to share in your annual report and then really people can see hey is this is going forward why it's not going forward this is uh, this is uh, how do you say the disappointment and you can do it for, you can do that for carbon neutrality, but you can also say, I want to make a contribution to start designing and selling my products really circular. You bring attention to the topic. Again, you have to look for partners in the supply chain to make it happen. So I, I like very much the discussion we are having here now that we say, don't start tomorrow. It's always tomorrow, no, <laughs> make your program. And also trying to put a target, a, a dot on the horizon And that is also to make the whole employee base of a company make them enthusiastic for a topic. And you will always say the company when I talk to colleagues, some of them have never heard of the program, it can happen. But that also makes us aware, Okay, we have to communicate more about it internally and externally to have the whole uh, say the whole uh, employees and the whole base of our people behind it. Making step by step. So we started uh, January 1st, we started with our new program with uh, most of the programs. We continue like carbon neutrality, stop producing own waste. Also in your factories, don't throw stuff away. Try to either recycle it or, or reuse it in your own uh, uh, production. That could be also for other things. That could be in fashion when you make clothes. Are there opportunities to when you have a failure in your production, can you use uh, the material again? And that's that's rethinking and i don't say we are there but what i like a lot is that we have these programs for four or five years and and you can follow it we make steps every time again we make steps
2: i love a lot of what everything that you're saying but specifically collaboration and i think one way to reframe thinking on reusing waste is instead of reuse remonetization. <laughs> think of it as literal money that mm-hmm. you can re-monetize yeah. that same asset that you've already got sunk costs and time and resources into. So would you just throw money into the landfill or burn it? No, you need to find a way to remonetize your assets, which is what waste ultimately is. It's a design flaw if it's not integrated yeah. into your remonetization strategy.
5: We, we also call the, the circular economy approach is really preserving the value to the maximum and and it's quite interesting because what happens a lot is that although the technical life of a product is not at the end we throw it away it's a pity because intrinsically there's a lot of value still in the product and it's for all products eh? not only electronics it's for many products most products it is absolutely the case so how can we do that uh, that's a big question and it's like you said when you realize as a company you're throwing away money And by the way, if you can uh, extend the lifetime of product, you're also saving money for the for the user, for the consumer or the customer. Yeah, I think on
2: collaboration. The one thing I'd love to point out is that most industries are looking for collaboration amongst themselves. But when you look at disruption and innovation, it always comes from outside, not from within and so you really need to if you're collaborating look for the right people that are outside of your current industry that can come in with a different perspective and you know not keep the closed mind of well they don't know this space like we do <laughs> it's a lot of that thinking that stifles innovation within corporations
3: touching on that, Lisa. and you
1: yeah, go ahead, Kai. Please.
3: Oh, sorry. With with collaboration, I'll say that uh, we had we had a, a, a fortunate to have a kind of an unlikely client. Um, we do get a lot of requests from from fashion companies uh, wanting you know clear plastic bags to, to ship their a single shirt in across whatever continent. Um, and we we don't we unfortunately can't quite make those products, and don't know how good I feel about anyway making a one bag or one shirt type situation, but we we did come across uh, or someone reached out to us from who's been a, a customer for a while. Maybe you've heard of uh, Outland Denim. Um, they were one of the first businesses that I uh, come across that, that were really looking at their whole global supply chain and trying to make them uh, environmental and socially uh, aware, conscious decisions for for for, uh, for their supply chain. And they really uh, pushed us to look at what we do and. And not just look at what, you know, we're selling something environmentally friendly, but where does all that come from? Are the people helping produce that uh, being treated right? Are we sure that, are we absolutely sure that what we're doing is in the best interest of the environment and the people that are around it? And, and that's something that I don't think, um, you know, as we're saying, collaboration would have, would have pushed us uh, to where we are today if we didn't have uh, you know a customer or someone come in from outside of our industry. And say, look at these a little bit closer and, and how are you, and how are you grading yourself on this?
1: I I love that example and I just, you know, basically the reason why we're having a conversation with lighting, fashion, food, and like a you know, packaging expert is in a built environment summit is the reason why we're doing this, you know. Like we genuinely believe also this like cross disciplinary diverse global you know uh, collaborations are the ones that really push for innovation and change within our own industries and we see this over and over again and we just need to be really in that mindset when we're starting off and i think we touched upon you know it starts out with design you know we uh we're setting up the system Uh, to fail maybe because it's designed as such. And we see that in, you know, politics, we see that in other fields. um, And this starts with like doing the right design and designing not only um, in consideration with sustainable materials, but the afterlife of it too. You know, how do things come together? What is the assembly uh, around, you know, the materials? Can we use them after, or what are the values of, e- what is the value of each individual material that will be valuable also for other productions in the future? So, designers going into any space, really, whether you're doing systems design, service design, product design, um, we really need to have an understanding of the longevity and sustainability of what we're putting out there i think question number one should we be putting out there like do we want more consumption and if we're putting out there we need to think of like a whole lifespan and i think we touched upon that i think there is a key to what you're saying also in lisa in innovation you know just because you know we innovate in something too doesn't mean that innovation is relevant two years from now right like we need to be able to have the mindset of like innovating on the go and really having a more you know adaptive uh, behavior as a company or individuals, and really changing our behaviors or products quickly. <coughs> and I think the innovation side, we need to look at other industries. Like we really need to look at what health tech did and what where we are today in terms of like healthcare, not the system, but the technologies around it, or. Um, you know, the automobile industry or any other like tech industry that is willing to spend billions on R&D. We really need to learn from them because they're, guess what, they're ruling the world now. You know, like they they are as rich as countries and they didn't necessarily, they weren't necessarily concerned on today's savings. So we really need to like learn from those like behaviors too. collaboration. I guess like we need to emphasize that over and over again and cross industry collaborations. And really getting out of our comfort zone too and not just working in similar similar patterns um, and also we touched upon with uh, kai and others too the big awareness and education <coughs> component to all of this and i would also love to hear more on how we do this obviously we have these events right and then we're trying to educate our users we try to educate our own clients but how can we push this awareness also on the bottom up side, right? Like the, on the user end so that we're not necessarily just waiting for policies to incentivize us to move towards a direction or really, um, not that there's not a crisis today, but we didn't see it firsthand like the pandemic, but the crisis does exist. So we either in, you know, a grand level are gonna really start addressing this when we're too late. Um, but if we can push the demand side and the user side uh, to really seek products or systems and not buy into the ones that do not meet, uh, you know, um, these standards, how do we get there sooner in addition to like some of the awareness efforts we're doing today?
2: I can Any share ideas? in fashion. Yeah, in fashion, um, the consumers are already demanding speed and agility and customization. So if the industry is saying, well, but they're not specifically asking for sustainability and circularity, you're missing the point again. (laughs) All those things, if you're going to refashion your entire supply chain, you might as well bake in exactly what the customer is asking for. Agility, speed, customization, personalization, size and fit, Um, you know, all of those things, if you're going to redesign your entire infrastructure, you need to, You. it's an opportunity to bake in circularity, sustainability, and really rework the entire unit economics to understand how much more margin you can capture when actually addressing what the consumer needs and producing it locally. Um, we've seen a, a minimum of 50% higher margin than producing overseas per unit. So um, I think it comes down to just building a better mousetrap that's more profitable. All of the S&P 500 companies can sit in their um, ivory towers and say, we're infallible, but it's changing more and more. Disruption is creating this um, virtuous cycle of cleansing the S&P 500. It used to be every 30 years that a company would live on the S&P 500. It is now down to 10. So, if you think that you're going to yeah. exist in 10 years and you're not addressing your own disruption through innovation, you are sadly mistaken.
5: Yeah. I can Adding speak to your food you. site. Yeah. Ah. Go, go ahead. Go ahead,
4: Olga. Okay. Okay. Um, at food side, is a bit more complicated than fashion or others, I guess, because you know thousands of and not only SKUs and products, but it's not easy to for consumers to understand what's behind the scene uh, for food production, for supply chain or food, you know, like there are a lot of trends also happening, like uh, the health, health trends, etc. Uh, even like we are talking about now, meatless meats. Uh, I know it's very common in the U.S., but in Turkey, it's just a very new uh, concept. And I, even I am very suspicious how it will happen. No, it's really in the, in the uh, core of the cuisine. So su- such complications are making uh, hard uh, to talk uh, such things, such demands to come from the consumer side uh, upon my experience. But uh, it, it might be the issue for these years and might change uh, soon as well. So, but what I um, experienced at least uh share something at that site so we did two things that we saw it worked well uh, the, the first thing is that not about the consumer to demand but more like uh, we went to the government and we changed a couple of laws uh, That is not banning something but it's more like incentivizing companies to do the right thing and then getting more financial benefits uh, out of doing the right thing so considering the fact that all these companies, as we all mentioned, and Lisa uh, mentioned as well, the margins are important. Uh, the, the incomes are important. Um, so I think uh, governments uh, need to take more roles at that part uh, rather than um, waiting for consumers to demand. And then uh, we started a campaign. I mean, not we, uh, but we supported, let's say we initiated um, first of all, with a private company like PNG uh, with a huge campaign in Turkey and 70 million people watched our ads uh, not to waste food uh, all Ramadan month periods. And then the government started uh, the campaign, a save food campaign. And in one year, currently, just comparing it to the one year before, and whoever you would try to speak of food waste, uh, no no one will say anything, um, and they, they would just say, of course, we don't make it waste. And now, after one year of this campaign, everyone just started to ask. I mean, what's happening with these foods uh, leftovers in the supermarkets? Um, so, I mean, if you want the the consumers to demand something, uh, you need to trigger them as well. Um, this is what yeah. I experienced and what I, what I uh, see. So, this is my uh, point here.
1: Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, public endorsement and you know, government backing yes. obviously will. Expedite things Very exponentially, yeah. you know, we yeah. see this in like countries who are adopting um, in their legislation and how they're like changing things much faster than other countries too. When that happens, and I think there's, we can't, we don't have the luxury to wait for any side. I feel like we have to like kind of like push from both ends. And to your point, you know, awareness efforts and media is a big player in this, and you know, other like events as this or workshops and programs. Uh, These are all helping with awareness, but uh, to Lisa's point too, also transparency within the system and the possibility of that information getting out there or has to be out there will also really um, push uh, companies to be able to do right. I mean, we saw so many, you know, ethical problems in the supply chain in the past years and when they were, you know, out in the public was a huge um, reputation uh, crisis for brands. and they immediately had to change the way they are doing things. It had doesn't have to come to that. But if sort of if we do have transparency within our processes, like it is a very simple analogy. If we know our food is toxic, we know we're not going to eat it, right? No one's gonna eat something that is sold and like is, is toxic. Well, maybe cigarettes, but at least it will be in less <laughs> consumption. But we don't know what goes into our clothing. We don't know what goes into sort of like the electronics we're using. We don't know like the spaces that we live in and the materiality behind it. So if we just had more awareness of what's really going into things that we are using every day, I think that would really slowly, but at, at least in a more sustainable manner, change behavior because we are going wanna harm ourselves or the environment. Like nobody has that as a motive starting uh, out their day. Um, we just need to be like more mindful of it um, kind of every minute of the day. Um, and I guess like, with that, uh, I, I would love to kind of solely like close the conversation by, um, and this will go into both like potential solutions, but also some advice um that's how we typically end our what's wrong with panels and podcasts where um you know if we if we do want to go into an industry where we want to make change um or push the limits a little bit or innovate it's not an easy route and we all know that here um so what would be your advice to anyone who is going to do that or going to try to do that who wants to go first hmm.
5: Advice. Yeah. But um, well, adding to the remark, if if we really want to change something, you need the different players in this value chain. And the experience I have is normally there's a shock. I don't want to be too shocking, but a shock normally really adds speed to it. Uh, and a shock can be I'm, climate change and I don't know how your weather is, but our weather was amazing and wet at the moment with lots of rain. <laughs> Rivers go over. We have really dead people around in Belgium and Germany that a lot of that's because of the the water. So that's a shock and people get more aware. But a shock can also be yeah. a, a breakthrough in innovation like uh, Steve Jobs did with his his way. He brought these yeah. different uh, products in the market and, and the funny thing was the consumer was not aware of it. He always said according to his book. He said always they don't know what they have to ask. I will <laughs> I will provide what they need. Uh, that's quite interesting. But having said this I think. Uh, really live to to the innovations and like people here and also in the panel I hear founders co-founders of all kinds of ideas to improve it I think that's absolutely key I'm also very proud of this Dutch guy who says set up the clean the clean up ocean uh, activity well these people are very important so when you have a, a dream or you want to improve a certain situation uh, don't f- uh, hold back go for it and and also yeah I agree awareness like the circle economy i started with in my view i would have loved to see it going quicker uh, uh, there's yeah. the complexity is not the mindset has changed uh and every time one player in this whole value chain has has to start it goes too slow so how can we speed it up so my advice would how can we really speed up smart innovative stuff to to really contribute to environmental or social improvements and circle economy is one of them but there are many more as the panel members here definitely have shown.
1: And this I'll will tied to the well <laughs> in funding. Yes,
2: exactly. <laughs> you knew where I was going. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. The, the primary way that we speed up innovation is through capital investment. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, we've been sitting around collectively assuming that the industries are going to innovate themselves. And that generally does not happen, especially with transformational innovation. It's just um, against the grain of how they're currently structured, siloed, have archaic legacy infrastructure and systems. It's, It's not their jam. So the primary way we create innovation is by funding it which is what silicon valley does and we see all these amazing innovations that are happening but frankly right now we need capital to be deployed into diverse emerging fund managers the diversity is not just a checkbox for gender or or skin color. It is for lived experiences and really understanding the use cases that are different than what the people in Silicon Valley are addressing. You know, we certainly don't need another Juicero or Twitter for cats. What we need is something that is really going to impact, you know, the majority of people on this planet in a meaningful, life-changing way. And those things are harder innovations that require more capital than something that a Silicon Valley investor is looking to flip within three years. These are these are uh, building the future of our entire life on our planet. And I think there's nothing more profound and worthy to dedicate your life to than that. So within fashion alone, BCG and Fashion for Good put out a study last, uh, or actually, yeah, January 2020, where they finally uh, quantified everything I've been saying for about a decade. The amount of capital that needs to be deployed every year just into early stage fashion supply chain innovations between now and 2030 is $30 billion dollars. With a b not millions 30 billion dollars and i was asked in an article um how many billions are being deployed and i said oh no 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 it is maybe a hundred million and that's primarily from emerging funds that really understand this space and those funds are primarily female founded and as we all know women receive less than two percent of all venture capital at least here in the united states and if you're a woman of color latina it's like 0.001 so i'm an anomaly having raised venture capital for a tech company in the past and now i'm a vc we are deploying capital across the emerging technologies that will change life on this planet (laughs)
1: <laughs> and i'm applauding that in silence um which you know i think there are so many advice and like lessons within that entire statement that i'm not even going to comment <laughs> on it was perfect um and then yeah and Kai and oljay also like for both of you who are do- pushing this in a developing country which is maybe like an added layer of challenge when you're doing a startup, too, um, in addition to being a minority in a developed country as well. But uh, what what would be your advice?
3: Yeah, I, I would say that, uh, you know, kind of the topics we kind of touched around is, the you know, money. And how do you how do you that's the way that people get through quickly. That's kind of the universal understanding. We've had challenges. Um, one of the biggest challenges uh, in, in deploying our bags initially wasn't, you know, teaching somebody about what plastics do or where they come from or how long it takes to go away. It was almost reversing that plastics uh, were, were thought of as very, like I said before, a luxury product, um, and reversing that in a uh, where there are cultural uh, issues that, and, and learnings that we need to uh, be aware of and conscious of. Um, as well as in a in a country where formalized education is is uh, few and far between, many people don't uh, you know go past a you know an eighth grade level in the U.S. Um, and even beyond that, uh, education and is not is not uh, probably wouldn't even be considered uh, much higher in a, like in a high school level in the states. So the way that I've I've almost always gotten through to business owners and uh, C-suite people are how do we make it profitable for you or make it so it's not a loss on your on your balance sheet, even though these things are more expensive? And it's got to it's gotta sometimes come up with some creative, unique ways to do that um, so they can feel good about themselves with the environment side of it, but also they can show that, that it's not going to be a big loss for that stuff. So.
0: Hi everyone. Just thought I'd pop in to uh, thank you for the session and just see if um, we're about to wrap up this particular one. Perfect. Thank you very much, everyone. I love the, the points, uh, especially around the collaborative um, and inter industry uh, collaboration. Because I think it makes um, uh, absolutely adds value to all of our conversations that we have in here at Waste Build. Um, thank you, Pina. Thank you, everyone else, uh, for your contributions to this panel. Um, really enjoyed it. So that's the symbol we're doing. Um, so thank you very much. We're going to have a quick break now. Um, and then we'll be rejoining with the Creating Circular Cities panel uh, in about two minutes. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thank, thank you. you.